Welcome to Encountering Empowerment. I'm your host, Victoria Jocko, here to help you feel certain about your worth. When you know you're enough, your power is uncontainable, and I'm here to help you unleash it. All of you is acceptable here. You're good, you're bad, and everything in between. It's time for you to see it too. Hello, my lovelies. It has been a while. I hope you're all well. Um, Today I have a really special episode. This was so fun to record. Um, My friend and colleague JC Tackett uh, is coming on here and we're chatting about the crossover between diet culture and other aspects of life. Um, And it is just so fascinating how the diet mentality really does seep into every area of life. And that really is because, you know, diet culture isn't that's not the origin of the mentality. The origin of the mentality of diet culture is supremacy culture, um, patriarchy, anything that oppresses. Um, it's just an oppressive system, right? So JC and I talk about that. We have a bit of a shared experience with diet culture. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. I do just want to make some disclaimers. Number one, JC likes to take notes. So you might hear some tippy tapping. Um, I do not edit my audio sorry, not sorry. Uh, it's fucking boring to me and I don't have, uh, the capacity to hire someone to edit it. So you guys are going to get the raw unfiltered version, which includes perhaps a little bit of tippy tapping from her keys, um, as well as some pauses. Something that I actually really love about JC and something that she's taught me is to take time to cultivate my words. And, uh, she's like helped me become more comfortable with like, not responding right away. And it's something that I really love about her. So you might just hear some like silence (laughs) here and there throughout the audio. Um, If it bothers you, I don't know what to tell you. But uh, if you stick with this, I think you're going to really get a lot of value from this episode. And I think you'll really enjoy our conversation. So without further ado, here is uh, the conversation between JC and I. Hello. Hey. How's it going? Good. How are <laughs> you, V? I am doing well. Um, tell us who you are and what you do. Cool. I am JC Tackett. I am a life coach for all y'all creative as fuck weirdos who want to live authentically, suffer less and create more things like confidence and art and money. I'm also a German studies scholar and I'm writing my dissertation on um, like science fiction Afrofuturism in German culture from 1945 to today, which is actually the same thing as life coaching. It just is different. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is so interesting also love your um like description of who you are I haven't heard you say it like that and that is so beautifully put uh and also like your dissertation is so niche (laughs) so unique (laughs) so fun like truly sorry I'm turning off the fan because I just realized that the noise might bother your listeners um (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, no, it's super niche. 
And it's on, there are like two fronts on which like a lot of people in the field of German studies don't think that it exists. <laughs> like the things that I study, one of them is science fiction. Like they don't think that it, that German science fiction exists, but they're like, eh, it's derivative. It's not like real German literature. And, or like, maybe they don't think it exists. They've never encountered it before. And the other is like black people who identify as Germans. <laughs> they're like, those don't exist. German people are white. What? Because like, you know, nationalism. <laughs> uh-huh, oof. Yeah, I mean, and like the existence of German nationalism, which I think the kind of like lingering guilt about that, like, ha like has these kind of, interesting it's had an interesting in, impact on the way that germans in particular think about race so like you know because the nazis i didn't know that we were going here but cool <laughs> because the nazis used race to classify and um exterminate you know populations of people the response to that was you know after in the post-war period was like well, we just shouldn't classify people based on race. So like if you're working a federal job, you can't be sued for being racist because like race doesn't exist um, oh. as like policy. Yeah, so it's a very like 90s, like I don't see color kind of approach, which you know, is understandable. Like we all went through the 90s, like it happened, like Clinton era race policies, but like, you know, it's also, I, the impulse I think is understandable, but, you know, as we've learned, especially recently, um, saying that you don't see race is actually masking the problem rather than um, moving towards solutions to the problem. So it's really interesting. People are like, African people, Af Afrofuturist German literate, what? but it's really cool. It exists. Interesting. That is fascinating and something I'm sure we could talk a lot about. And yes. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about this with you because, uh, I think we have a lot of crossover in this area like obviously this is th this is like one of the main things I do in my line of work and also it's something that we have a shared interest with and a shared experience so I think this is going to be a fascinating conversation so first I think it would be really good to kind of define what diet culture is so I'm curious like what what you think about that and then I'll add any thoughts if I have any mm -hmm. and for the listeners also the topic that we settled on for today's talk is like diet culture in other oh realms. totally yeah so maybe that's obvious from the from the title okay anyway sorry <laughs> i mean like come at you and edit you on your own okay what does diet culture mean this is interesting um I think for me, it's a pattern, so it's a thought pattern of restriction, mm -hmm. like periods of intense restriction and the 
um, privileging of restriction in society. Mm. And yeah. signs of restriction too. So there are like certain results, you know, like thin bodies mm-hmm. um, or certain kinds or like certain kinds of like athletic bodies mm-hmm. that are signs of having effectively restricted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like the other word that I would use with it would be like a suppression. Like I think it it's diet culture is really just the suppression of yourself, whether it's the way your body looks, like naturally, if you're taking care of yourself in a way that feels really good for you, um, the suppression of your appetite, the suppression of your wants and needs, um, and the suppression of like uniqueness and differences among people. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that is a really encompassing word for it because it's not it's not just restricting like your food right it's not just like restricting or shrinking your body it and I I, uh like that you did mention like the different um uh bodies as well but I think it's also like a suppression of um uh like race as well, which is interesting that you already brought that up with like your, your uh, dissertation, because like fat phobia is so deeply tied to racism that like it is, it's the suppression of black uh, and other people of color, like their bodies. So what do you think about that? Totally agree. I love the idea of <clears throat> restriction is essentially one form of suppression um, that is it is the kind of the core guiding principle or like value of diet culture yeah totally so and what- conformity maybe too it's like suppression of the individual yeah privileging of a kind of conformity Completely. Yeah, totally. No, and I think like they they go hand in hand, right? Because like if you're suppressing yourself, you have to like the the immediate response to that is that you're conforming to something else, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. So what would that mindset look like? And you could even just like maybe say some of the thoughts that you've had about yourself and your body um, Mm -hmm. and then maybe like elaborate on what you think other people might be thinking. I don't know, but. Yeah. So I think that there's, okay. So I guess we've talked mostly about the social side of it. And I think the thoughts are what manifest in individuals in response to those social norms and values mm-hmm. um, in response to diet culture. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, the core of that is probably the belief like I'm not good enough or I need to adhere to these norms in order to be 
good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. And I think like, it's really easy to direct that towards our bodies and to food. Like, I think it's just like a really easy out, you know, of taking that lack and like lack of self-worth and just, I'm going to take this out on my body because it's there constantly. And food is something that I have to engage with multiple times a day. So that makes it just like a very easy scapegoat. Um, But I think that mindset of suppression and, you know, privileging and like conformity, uh, I think that can look like so many other things, right? Like people pleasing, I think is a really big one where like we need to cater to someone else's thoughts and feelings and make sure their experience is the best of the best despite our own, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that also can look like, I think that people pleasing has crossover. So this is where we can get into like the meat of our topic. Um, that people pleasing has crossover into like our workplace as well mm-hmm. as our relationships, right? Like I have clients, especially who have a hard time with authority with like not speaking their uh, boundaries to quote unquote authority figures, particularly in the workplace. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like the, it's the same thing with dieting. Like we have this outside perspective telling us what we should look like and what we should be eating. And we have our insides being like, um, actually I need more than what you're giving me. And also I don't want to look how you think I'm supposed to look. This is how I look when I'm just happy and healthy. Like, which is another thing we could talk about with health being uh, more, it's more nuanced than what we think it is, but. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think um, another aspect for me um, and I'm coming back to the term restriction, although I think suppression would be interesting to think about here too, but I think that like diet culture, I think there are like, yeah, you're right. It's like the, um, um, like suppressing our like inner knowing or like, or, or desires for the sake of something that we think is more important than that. Mm -hmm. Um, that's often moralized, right? It makes us good to suppress. It makes us good to restrict. It makes us good for us to take up as little space in metaphorical and literal terms Mm -hmm. as possible. And so one of the things that I think is a, and, and so this has like results that I think you can see. And it's like, it's like, the signs of diet thinking are visible through the results in other areas of our life too. So for example, um, diet thinking is like, I think red, like a huge red flag of diet thinking is when you, or is like when you see cycles 
that are like moralized Mm. like moral good you're like on track for a period of time and then you have and you're like suppressing or like white knuckling or just kind of fighting against it's like you use willpower to try to like conduct yourself in ways or like do actions or do behaviors that um you deem as morally good Mm -hmm. or that are privileged in society or like seen as good and then you have this like building desire to resist those Mm -hmm. over time and so there are cycles of like you know restriction and then overconsumption Mm -hmm. um or like I love thinking about it in terms of folks' relationships to money too, where it's like, in the planner community, you see a lot of people do no spends, which I think are, which are periods of time in which they don't spend any money Mm -hmm. or don't spend any money on a certain thing that they enjoy spending money on, right? So they're judging themselves for having overspent. And the answer to that is to fully restrict for a period of time Mm -hmm. and that creates cycles of then over of like additional overspending right so these like escalating cycles sorry we're finally here maybe you can edit some of that (laughs) or if y'all enjoy hearing the process that's cool too um there are these kind of escalating cycles of binging and restriction and restricting because like our in like we can't or will like there's a part of us that wants it Mm -hmm. and our response to that is to willpower through it to shut it down to say that that part of us is bad and then to suppress that part of us until we can't do it any longer Mm -hmm. I really like that you brought up both the morality aspect of it and also the financial aspect because not just within like your planner community, but like in general, people have a huge problem with like going on spending sprees, feeling incredibly guilty, not spending anything, and then just repeating the vicious cycle, right? Mm -hmm. And I also want to touch on the morality aspect of it because it's very like purity culture that seeps into this. It's very much like the Christian, the Christian mindset of like, you know, being, being quote unquote gluttonous is sinful, right? Like that plays so huge into this because um, that like, and we don't say those words in uh, diet culture, although sometimes we do. I've definitely seen things marketed as like, it's like sinfully delicious or something, you know, like there's so much of that kind of uh, in marketing, but in our own brains, it's like, I'm good if I do this and I'm bad if I do this. And there's no gray area where you can like kind of live in the in-between. It's very black and white thinking. And it's like, there's no question of where this morality came from. It's just kind of like given to us and it, again, as you, as you uh, mentioned, it suppresses that desire that you have in yourself, right? Because you have this outside moral judgment impacting your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> so much. Because I think that what was highlighted in the way that you described that for me is that the main operator, just like in... 
puritanical slash like Protestant religions, just like in capitalism, just like in many areas of our life, um, right? Because these like have infiltrated all, all aspects, right? Family, like whatever is um, guilt and shame. Yeah. So it's like, there's a moral value that's been assigned by a society that's just accepted, right? Because of how we're socialized. Um, and then to not do that is then to have shame. There's this buildup of shame and, or rather the desire to restrict is motivated by a feeling of guilt or a feeling of shame. Totally. And then there's this kind of like all or nothing, like I can feel right. Like, and also people's inability to like experience shame or like lack of desire to express that like shame is also an indicator of having done something bad mm -hmm. of having had a moral failing, like of being eternally damned mm -hmm. That means that they need to like atone for that mm -hmm. through like works or through whatever. Mm -hmm. um, we're also means that they need to kind of fully banish that from their life when really like guilt and shame are, there's like a part of our existence, right? Like I actually think that we can become, like we become Mm. our impact on the world is directly related to our capacity to feel guilt for the harm that we inevitably do through acting in the world. Mm. Yeah, it's unavoidable. Like you are going to experience, it's a natural, it's a natural human emotion that you are going to experience. It's a matter of how you want to respond to it. And right now we have this response of avoidance and that that is why we end up in these cycles. It doesn't work. And I think that this is really important to address that like, in order to dismantle diet culture, you also need to have like a very anti-establishment, anti-capitalist, anti, or just like an abolitionist approach because like you have to revamp your entire higher mindset. It's not because it's not just the way you approach food and body. It's the way you have been conditioned to approach literally every single thing. You've been taught to avoid your feelings and avoid your, you know, innate wants and needs. And so if you want to, if you want to get out of the cycle, you have to start um, being willing to have the experience that is coming naturally for you. You have to be willing to experience your emotions and like to the fullest capacity. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely. I think that um, like, I don't know, I'm reminded of Max Weber's um, text on he's a German sociologist um, on the Protestant work ethic and the spirit of capitalism. Like, I think there's no surprise that, or it's, it's not 
like there is a direct causal link to the kind of puritanical founding of America to um, the idea that we need to work in this life and defer pleasure to the, in order to earn pleasure in the afterlife. Mm. Um, pleasure is earned and it's deferred. Mm. And then that the U.S. is like the main world of like, it ex like we export diet culture. It's like the, it's like home, like where diet culture like grew and it's like a primary export of our culture. Yeah, I love that you said that pleasure is something that is like, it's basically just like put off until the afterlife. Like it's something that needs to be earned. That is so wild. And it's something for me that has been one of probably like, at least in the top five most transformational parts for my relationship with my body with my life, with food, with everything that I have really uh, started to take my satisfaction and my pleasure into account. When I make decisions, is this going to be pleasurable to me? And not in a way, and so this is where I think people get tripped up too, because I think they associate pleasure with being this like bad, sinful thing that's going to be taken out of, like you're going to get out of control if you're just seeking pleasure. What do you want to say? <laughs> what happens when we suppress it exactly so it explodes right it's it's internet it's like it's nuts because it's exactly I mean this is just like the coaching model at work on like social scales is it's exactly what we fear is going to happen yeah. that is the result of taking action um like of taking action from that fear to restrict totally completely yeah it's out of control when the restriction or when the suppression builds up to and the desire that's being suppressed builds up to a point where it's no longer tolerable exactly completely and like i i realized that like pretty early on in my recovery from my eating disorder that like if i just try if i just start honoring this desire to feel good that it doesn't feel so overwhelming anymore. Like it's so manageable for me. And it also makes my life so much more fun. Like I don't do shit typically that I don't want to do anymore. When I eat food, it's very like, it's satisfying, but it's also like nutritious in a lot of ways. And like, there's so much wiggle room for me and I don't feel anxiety when I go out anymore. Like I had, oh my God, one of like the, I've had quite a few moments where I had realizations of like, bro, your, your relationship with food is super fucked up. And like, you should probably work on it. And like very early on in my recovery, I had this, the moment where I never would go out to eat at restaurants that weren't vegan. And when I was uh, in my eating disorder, they usually had to be like raw vegan or had lots of raw vegan options. I was living in Portland. So it was, it was a bit easier. Um, I'm like in Dallas, like, I think they just discovered what veganism is here. <laughs> um, so I, I, when I came here, so I'm living in the Midwest now, I was still like at the beginning stages of my recovery. I had been in it for a little bit, but I hadn't really gone all in. And so I went out to a restaurant with my partner and it was like this, um, like some kind of Asian restaurant. I don't remember, but they have vegan options 
and but they make everything like on the same like thing they want they kind of rinse it off but like and I was standing there completely overcome with anxiety and not like it, it was because I'm like this is dirty this is wrong like I can't enjoy myself like I can't even though I'm I'm basically abiding by my rules in terms of being vegan um, at that point it wasn't enough like it had to be very pure there there was this like deeply uh purity kind of mindset that went along with my eating disorder and so yeah it was just like wild to go in there wanting to have this moment with my partner to go out on a date and being just completely overridden with anxiety and fear that I could not experience pleasure in the slightest like I just wanted to vomit the entire time now completely different experience. Number one, I'm not like vegan anymore. So there is that, but it's so much more about the experience that I'm having with the people in my life than it is the food. Like, yes, I want to eat stuff that's going to be tasty and nutritious for me and like whatever, but it's so much more about like, I'm here with these people and I'm enjoying having this experience with them. You know, there's just so much more pleasure involved with it. Totally. I think that the, <clears throat> I mean, you're describing a scenario of ex a, a kind of extreme scenario of a fear of contamination. But I think that it's actually not that it, a lot of people have had like have have had like literal similar experiences, if not a kind of raw veganism, then with, um, you know, feeling like feeling that like, or the belief that like, you know, a GMO or like processed foods or um, that like not working out one day mm -hmm. um, or that, you know, the scale going up one pound is a kind of like, like contaminates um, the a kind of purity of, um, right. And I think that there's this like way in which it's like in its most extreme forms, we call it disordered eating, but it's actually diet culture is this like widespread popularization of I mean, I don't know, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't, I don't know if it's disordered or ordered, but of a kind of relationship to food, to whatever, that like I would prefer and to, to food to ourselves, as you said earlier, right? Like to our wallets, to um, desire that, uh, I lost myself in the middle of that sentence. In any case, I think it's like, yeah, a kind of relationship to those things that I would prefer not to have. That's like your that's that features, um, like fear and anxiety, right? Like that's the kind of operating response I think to the shame that we feel from having been contaminated. And here I think like we see, I mean, it's it's fuck, it's just puritanical. It's just the biblical story is told by kind of Puritans or kind of puritanical approach to religion. 
which is we were once pure mm. we ate the fruit from the tree of knowledge mm-hmm. we became contaminated and we have to spend the rest of our lives limiting that contamination in order to earn right we have to feel shame about that right we feel shame about that contamination we have to try to li- and in response to that shame we have to try to limit it in order to earn pleasure in the afterlife mm-hmm. completely yeah and i i mean i see that you know we're here talking about the crossovers and it really it is everywhere and being someone who was heavily heavily involved with new age spirituality that was a big part of my eating disorder as well there's so much of that in there and we've just changed the words now it's just you need to be high vibrational instead of being pure like that that means (laughs) right right yeah i know it there is sorry no no go ahead I think like one of the things that sticks out to me, so I said in the afterlife, but I think the high vibes like kind of highlight this too, is that it's not necessarily, and I think like here there's the kind of social relationship too. It's that it's, it's, it's not necessarily in the afterlife, but it's in a context that is not, a feeling in your body, right? That is not yours. So it's like the vibes, right? Or like on other, uh, in other dimensions that aren't accessible to you or in in society, right? Where we're projecting what people think about us, but we can't actually know, right? And so even society, I feel like is at a skip. This is actually something that I work on in my dissertation is, the kind of social scale is uh, is a scale, right? It's an abstracted scale that like we have to use metaphors and like this is what social science does in order to, um, and other kinds of tools in order to be able to perceive it, right? Like existing forms of human perception um, can't access it, can't access it directly, right? And so there's the like rub where it's like, well, you can access it, if you, or, um, or maybe somebody can access it if they follow certain, or if, if you're kind of morally good enough or whatever. Completely. Yes. And a great example of that with a new age spirituality is 5D consciousness. Like if you raise your vibration high enough, you're going to access 5D consciousness and you're going to be in like this beautiful state of bliss essentially like I've heard I heard that so often and I mean I I didn't necessarily believe that like I wasn't that deep but I still had it in my head that like um I needed to eat this way in order to raise my vibration because if I don't then I I, I'm like going to be harming myself that was the big thing. Like it's going to create, it's going to create disease. It's creating my negative experience. Like it's doing all of these things. And I I think that's, it's very much the same with like intentional weight loss where like you think that if you just do this, it's going to make you happy and everything is going to be perfect. 
And I think it's also the same with like, um, you know, never questioning your boss. If you always answer to your boss, you will forever keep your job. And that's giving you a, a sense of security, even if it's false. You could lose your job at any fucking point. Your boss could fire you for no fucking reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think that like the, the like, what's really malicious about this way of thinking or like what's really nefarious about it is that it like activates our fear centers mm-hmm. right and so it like turns off our conscious reasoning we're acting from fear and and the stakes and because nothing is promised to us right like literally our awareness of ourselves is not promised to us mm-hmm. um like our, like and our interpretations of things can always change right like there is no stability in the world i mean there also is inherent stability in the world but that's part of the inherent instability of the world is that like it is both in any case uh we went to an abstract place what was the point of that (laughs) oh yeah that like in response to uncertainty we feel fear but because that uncertainty exists right it's like the lie that we can control that uncertainty that means that there's this ever increasing right we suppress that fear instead of learning to um, manage it instead of learning to tolerate it, instead of learning to feel it, instead of learning to use it um, as like a sign of like the truth of the world and the untruth, because it is always like both. But mm-hmm. like, but like it is just true that it is uncertain that one is going to be employed tomorrow, right? That like you oh. listener are going to be employed tomorrow, much less employed tomorrow in the same way that you are today. And, but, but in response to that uncertainty, there's this like, in, in response, or rather it's this like illusion that we can control it, that creates this, right, combined with the reality that it is uncontrollable, mm-hmm. that means that there's this ever increase, we have to lie to ourselves in bigger and bigger ways, um, in response to that fear, right? So we're, and we're training ourselves, right? Like one of the results of this kind of thinking is to train ourselves that uncertainty is to be feared and the kind of like increase in that belief, right? So it's just this like build up cycle, which is why you get these kind of like the kind of rebellion to that mm-hmm. actually kind of bursts forth. Yeah, no, totally. And I think like that it's all about our response, right? Like that's in essentially what it comes down to our response. And then what kind of, you know, outcome are we trying to have? Right. Cause like what you're saying is that uncertainty is this thing that we get to choose how we respond to right now we're choosing to respond to it in a way that's like very fearful very trying to control very like um almost living in a fantasy world that we can control it 
Yeah. All right, which is fine. You can be delusional. There's no problem with that. I'm delusional sometimes. I was talking about I was talking about that with Alex yesterday. <laughs> I also really love like fantasy worlds and yeah. so it's fun. Yeah. yeah I think like, fun. what are we using that delusion for? Are we using it for pleasure and for frolicking? Exactly. Or are we using it to limit ourselves and like chop off pieces of ourselves in order to eventually perhaps feel pleasure. Yeah. And that's ultimately the question that I think we need to ask ourselves is what am I doing this for? What is the outcome that I'm getting from it? And do I like this outcome? Right? Like that's ultimately what it comes down to. Now, I also had a thought while you were talking about uncertainty that uh, this, I, this, is really important to address within diet culture, um, the aspect of health, because we are not actually guaranteed health, no matter what we do, we can be, we can have the quote unquote healthiest lifestyle known to man and still end up sick. So like that sincerely needs to be unpacked (laughs) because it is, what drives so much fat phobia and discrimination and oppression against people in larger bodies. Um, Cause we moralize them again, that morality coming into play of like, if you don't look this way, it means you're unhealthy and therefore you should be treated poorly. Mm-hmm. And that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And I think like what I see in a lot of fat phobic comments online is like, and you're, you, the you doing that in a way that other people can perceive right you existing in a way that other people can perceive there's like this fear that you're gonna like impact the kids right god yes (laughs) to say like you're gonna make people think that it's okay and then they're going to It's this like fear of like uncontrolled spiraling again. Yeah. But again, that is because we have this very imbalanced relationship with ourselves and with pleasure as a whole. And with that fear of like the unknown, you know, like we are so afraid of what could happen that we're not willing to explore like what it is that we actually want. And also that's a really bullshit argument. Like what about the children? Oh no. Like shut up. You don't care. That's, that's what it comes down to. You don't care about the children. You don't care about my health. You just want me to conform to your own fear-based mindset. Right. Well, I think the like fear of the children is another like way in which it just like, yeah, diet culture like reveals it's puritanical because right. The children are the closest to the kind of like pre- the kind of like Eden experience that is like no longer accessible today, right? And this is also true of like the fucking like abortion haters where it's like the biggest form of that, right? Like the greatest form is like the unborn, right? Because like they have not sinned at all, right? They're basically, it's like the womb is Eden, but like, yeah. No, you're so right. Like that, 
purity culture runs so deep and it, it does extend. And I mean, I've, I've talked about this before with being uh, very much anti-child for myself of like, there's this, there's this sense of morality attached to raising children and having children and being a child, right? Like they're so free and pure and like, they haven't been touched by sin, you know? And it's just the same mindset of that uh, pure, like the puritanical way of thinking, it just seeps into every single thing. And so I think when we address that, which I think diet culture does such a phenomenal job with, like if you are really unlearning the dieting mentality, you are unlearning um, this like kind of blanketed morality, right? Mm-hmm. So like when you unlearn that, it makes it, it, it just seeps into everything else, you know? Um mm-hmm which I think like we can talk about a little bit about this. I just want to touch on the fact that in the coaching world, this is something huge that we address that like where one belief is, it's seeping into another area of your life. It's a system of thought. It's not just one singular thought. So if you start to work on like, like, let's say you come to me and you want to work on your body image, you're going to see change in other areas of your life by default. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, it's also something that occurred to me as you were talking, this isn't quite where you ended up, so feel free to redirect me later, is that it's actually this kind of like, moralizing youth moralizing cuteness Mm. um moralizing uncontamination is also a kind of i think as it as it relates to like humans and like human development is also like a demonization of conscious thinking oh right yeah of of conscious awareness, which of course only develops, I mean, like continues to develop through what, like 25, 28, whatever, Um, like into our twenties where again, this is kind of the Adam and Eve story where we know right from wrong, right? It's like, And we begin to develop the capacity to feel guilt. Whereas I actually think, I mean, what coaching does is it harnesses that meaning making and gives us freedom and agency over, so meaning making, meaning that like conscious kind of second order thinking. Um, And like harnesses that for us instead of against us. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was like abstract and weird, but maybe it resonated. I don't know. No, no, no. It's it's um it's true. A hundred percent. Um I actually think where the coaching industry has its own kind of well there are lots of ways in which diet culture affects the coaching industry 
But I think that, I mean, like diet coaching is where a lot of life coaching like emerged from, for example. Yeah. But I also think um, when life coaching like inverts that and says, well, our unconscious models or our unconscious thinking is demonized. And then we have, a, and then we think that like the purity is in fully conscious, fully intentional um, beliefs and feelings and actions, right? It's almost just like an inversion of that where it's like, well, our adult selves are the better selves and our child selves are, are um, or are like less conscious selves are kind of bad, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, then we have that, it's the same structure of, it's, it's diet culture, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, well, we need to, we, we need to only take action that is purely intentional or that is, um, or like we only need, right? It's, yes. Which I think is why inner child work is actually super important. 100%. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, and I will touch on that, but before I lose this thought again, um, when you were kind of talking about like the way that um, uh, children are like pedestalized and like the, the cuteness, like the um, the smallness, all of that, that is so deeply tied to patriarchy as well, where like uh, women and AFABs in particular, they're like the, the dieting industry is geared towards us. And so like those values, which like, I, I, I use that word very loosely, <laughs> but they are, they're values of patriarchy, of being cute and dainty and small and you know, very like uh, easily overpowered kind of thing. And that's exactly the way that we treat children. We, and like to a certain degree, rightfully so to infantilize them because they, they are children, like they're babies as well. Yeah, infants, like, yes, take care of them for sure. And also there's this idea that we can, you know, dominate them, that we, they're not their own, individual beings that are capable of making decisions and like having opinions and thoughts and feelings like they're just like extensions of us mm -hmm. and it's when you grow up that way you end up being that way like as an adult and so like tying back tying this back into diet culture and like purity culture that is essentially what ends up happening we just become like this extension of uh, these people in our lives that were molding us to be like them. And so that's where the people pleasing comes in of like, we just need to let go of everything that's going on in here and totally uh, bend to the will of what everyone else wants, whether it be changing our bodies, um, making more money, which like is fine if you want to make more money. It's also fine if you want to change your body. Like all of that is fine. You can make those choices. It's a matter of how, where are you making those choices from and how is it impacting you? Is it good? Is it pleasurable? Is it satisfying? Like, are you living a happy life, you know? Um, so yeah, I just, I, that before, 
I had lost my train of thought. So I wanted to touch on that before I lost it again. <laughs> totally. I love that so much. Um, and I think that like this is something that I thought about a couple of times during our conversation around dieting in particular. And I think it'd be cool to like explore people pleasing more too is like, Okay. So full disclosure, I have been, I've like, not only my coach certification as a life coach and weight loss certification, I also have an advanced certification in weight loss coaching in particular. Do you not, not know that? Mm-hmm. The entire time that I was going through it, I didn't, I mean, I can, I was there for some like business things mm-hmm. and because I was super curious about how, um, I really, I love community. And one of the weight loss coaches that I was following had like built a community that I thought was just like really super engaged, super interested, like really dynamic. Um, and also a community of coaches like in, under her you know, working for her and kind of under her brand Mm -hmm. where there was also like a community, uh, it was like dynamic, right? So like, it wasn't just about her. It was also about that. Like people really loved working with certain coaches Mm -hmm. that they all had, they weren't, they didn't conform to her entirely. Mm -hmm. And of course they like taught her teachings, but, um, you're talking about LCS. Yeah. 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 So I'm talking about, um, Crane Crabtree is an OBS weight loss program. Oh, um, okay. She had an advanced certification. And, um, you know, during that, during the time that I went through that advanced certification, I didn't set weight loss goals for myself because I was really proud of the place that I'd gotten to after having lived in abroad for, in like nine month increments. But in, in, I, in, it was weird because I wasn't sure how long I was going to be there. And so I didn't end up buying a scale when I moved and I was really proud of not having weighed myself, which I had done on a daily basis for like, you know, since I was, I don't know, like 13 or whatever, um, or younger. Um, and so I was like, well, I've lived without a scale. I don't want to set weight loss goals cause I don't want to weigh myself. Um, but I did anyway, whatever the point is, right. So I have a lot of perspective on people who are on mm, the, the reason that I wanted to bring that up is because I have a lot of experience with folks who use a lot of similar principles, um, and like where a lot of the coaching tools that I use come from. Um, and like I find empowering were developed in the weight loss coaching world. So, um, so I, but also I think can be used most radically in a way that isn't focused on weight loss where they're not reinforcing the belief that like when they're not being used to reinforce the belief that weight loss is good, like inherently good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, okay, what did I want to, oh, right. So your questions, like, where are you making those choices, regardless of the choice that you're making 
from and like how are those impacting you what do those feel like um in your body like do they feel good pleasurable satisfying like it's interesting because when I talk to a lot of weight loss coaches it's like For them, their experience with weight loss has been an empowering one. Yeah. And where like they felt a compulsion to, you know, compulsions that right, that it's interesting because it's like it's really about what beliefs like why you're making the choices that you're making and it's not about the goal at all mm-hmm. um, or it's not about the action that you're taking at all I think that like are you living a healthy life sorry I just wanted to like un- that was like a long tangent to underscore like I think are you following pleasurable like pleasure and satisfaction and joy Mm-hmm. rather than following fear and conformity. Mm-hmm. And I think if that results in weight loss, great. Like if you are following your pleasure and you end up losing weight, whatever, who cares? I think it's more so like, and I don't want to necessarily demonize the seeking of it because I can understand, I, I understand deeply wanting to lose weight. <laughs> and also, I think it's important to acknowledge where that desire comes from. Um, And even by recognizing where it comes from, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong to try to lose weight. Again, I think it's just a matter of checking in with yourself and seeing like, are you honoring your values? Are you feeling genuinely good? Are you feeling a high, like an ego high from losing weight because you know that this is what's socially acceptable? Because when I lost weight, I lost 70 pounds and I felt... Like I felt good in a lot of ways and my mental health was absolute trash. Um, my body was not doing well either. My, my cycle was extremely painful. Um, I was hungry all the time. I had like moderate energy levels. It wasn't terrible. Um, but I also just have like, I think I have a really strong constitution. So like my energy doesn't, it's not anyway. Um, so but I was just like high off the fact that I was thin finally. And at the same time, I was weighing myself five times a day. I was so obsessed with food. It wasn't like, I, I could not think about basically anything besides food. Um, and my relationship with it was very much like, you know, that binge restrict kind of cycle. So while I did feel good losing weight, was I actually encompassing like a full embodiment of what, um, health looked like for me? No, Mm -hmm. I was not. I also was not seeking pleasure. I was very much like denying myself in many ways. And, Ooh, this is a good one. Um, during that time when my eating disorder was at the highest, I was, and I don't like to use this word, but I don't know what other word to use. I was very highly promiscuous. I had lots of sexual partners. I had quite a few sexual partners. Um, I was engaging in a lot of sex to my detriment. 
And so like, it was, even though it wasn't coming out with food, it was coming out in another way. And so I think that's also so important to look at of like, yeah, maybe, maybe you're like on point with food. Like maybe you don't feel like you're out of control with food. Are you out of control somewhere else? Mm Hmm. Yeah. I think it's like, I think that's why this conversation about diet culture invading other areas or like diet thinking invading other areas is really important because I think that it had, like you said, it's like, it has to come out somewhere, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're engaging in a restriction cy- cycle in food, like maybe that coincides with a binge cycle in, or like the binge part of the binge restrict cycle in your spending mm-hmm. or, um, or you're thinking like, I deserve, right? Like if you, f- it's, again, it's like thinking that pleasure is something that has to be earned, right? Often I think when we're speaking only about diet culture or like only about food dieting, we, or yeah, food suppression and appetite suppression, you know, a lot of times it comes out in like, well, I had a really great week, so I deserve a cookie or like, so I deserve a treat. And like, what about when that treat looks like, it's like, it's like, are you engaging in pleasure only when you believe you deserve it? Mm, yeah. Like if so there's, you have like diet brain, even if that's not manifesting, like in particular in your relationship to food, right? So instead of like a cookie, maybe it's a spa weekend, maybe it's, maybe it's productivity, right? Like maybe it's relaxing. Maybe it's like finally earning the weekend off. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, um, I think the term guilty pleasure is a helpful one here, right? It's like, is it a net, like a guilty pleasure Netflix binge, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. guilty pleasure don't have to go hand in hand. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And like righteousness and ple- like, is the pleasure that you're feeling a self-righteous pleasure? Mm. Is it, or is it a guilty pleasure? Mm-hmm. So, like that's the diet thinking I think oh my god that self-righteous pleasure I think is so like connected to weight loss I think I definitely felt self-righteous I completely felt my ego felt so boosted and I was having a conversation with a partner about this how like they've been thin their entire life and like that has made it a level of confidence with like seeking out other partners because like we're polyamorous and I'm like yeah I felt the exact same thing when I was thin I didn't give a shit I knew that I could have anybody that I wanted you know because I was thin and also when I was even like as a larger person I've had every sexual partner that I've ever wanted so like (laughs) it's definitely it's a mindset thing for sure but like 
there is this self-righteous pleasure that goes along with sadness because it has been pedestalized. And I think I was thinking about this as well, that like, I, I really want to touch on the fact that, which I did a little bit earlier, but even more so on the fact that it is so deeply tied to racism. Yeah. Um, the thin ideal is tied to anti-Blackness. And I think that needs to be acknowledged, especially when you are in the pursuit of weight weight loss or in the business of weight loss, because if you are, you are directly impacting um, black and indigenous and other people of color because their bodies have not been taken into account with the BMI. They have not been taken account, period. Like their lives have been uh, harmed in so many ways. And that is where we've gotten our beauty standards from. So like, and I, I walk this line between if you want to intentionally lose weight, fine. Like that is totally up to you. I'm not going to demonize you for that. I understand that desire for sure. Do I think that you should question it? Probably. But like, who am I to tell you that you're wrong or whatever for doing that? And also there's this other part of me that it's, that's like very um, abolitionist in the sense of like, no, it is kind of wrong to intentionally lose weight because you are upholding these systems of oppression in so many other ways, you know, not only for yourself, but for other people. Like it's the mindset of like, well, why are you losing weight? Is it because it's genuinely impacting your health or is it because you don't like the way you look? And if it's genuinely impacting your health, what if, what if we just focused on changing those behaviors that are impacting your health, as opposed to changing your body? You can focus on changing your body. And I think it's much more productive to do the opposite, uh, to do the, um, the latter of like looking at, well, what are the behaviors that I'm engaging in that are impacting my health in a negative way? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I really just wanted to touch on the racism aspect of it because it, it's a deep value of mine to uh, work on anti-racism and decolonizing my mind. And I'm just, I have a very anarchist abolitionist <laughs> mindset and uh yeah i think it's really important when we're talking about intentional weight loss yeah absolutely i mean i think also the so super right that in pointing out the ways in which basically all of our bottle like body shape ideals in the last you know i mean in the 1900s <laughs> like the full century probably i mean certainly also earlier and also continuing to today are although i think that um features of like traditionally black features and um, other kind of features of other groups of color are becoming more celebrated today, of course, in ways that are whitewashed. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. In ways that are whitewashed. Yeah. In ways that are whitewashed. Um, <laughs> yeah um so that's why that's I just wanted to like I don't know asterisk that that's why that I that I said the 1900s in particular I think um come from um 
beauty standards that were accessible to, you know, white women, especially, um, and like descendants of like white colonizers, um, and inaccessible to, um, especially, you know, black bodies in America, enslaved people, enslaved bodies, um, in America, indigenous bodies and, and other bodies too, of course. I think, um, I think, also, right, and so the legacies of that continue to today. I also think that that, it's a cyclical process, right? That's like exacerbated also by, um, within like under global capitalism, right? Like a lot of times the, because of our kind of segregated society, um, like physically segregated um, communities, like a lot of what, like a lot of the foods and nutrition that folks of color have access to today. And I mean, especially black people, like black Americans have access to today are uh, you know, not the organic foods, not the, um, sorry, it, you can't see my quotes, I guess. <laughs> um, quotes around organic, like not the organic foods, not the healthy foods, not, right? And so there's this like exacerbation cycle too, where like, um, of this, or like a cycle in which there's like a kind of exacerbation effect of like, Mm. And I think that this is also where kind of capitalism intersects with diet culture, with racism, with sexism, mm -hmm. uh, where companies exploit and take advantage of um, or aren't willing to move into um, like communities um, like communities of color. So it's like, it's also like, there's not a level of like access that's the same across all of those dimensions too. A hundred percent. Access to the same kinds of choices around food, also around money, also around housing, also around like chemical exposure, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's this purity, like there's this, I, I'm like having trouble articulating, but it's like, it's also like, those are the communities in Houston right next to chemical plants. So that like when there's a fucking like hurricane and there's flooding of chemical plants, like now that's right. Or like water supplies. So mm -hmm. there's like, um, I, there's like an intersection there too, which I'm having trouble articulating. No, completely. I mean, it really just has to do with oppression. It's the oppression of Black and Indigenous people, of just all people of color, um, and yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, I think that that is the word that 
is very fitting for um, what you're describing here because it is this like, yeah, we're going to cut them off from having resources. We're going to cut them off from the things that affluent white people have access to, which is like organic grocery stores, grocery stores, period. You know, like the, the time to um, have like the, the time to be able to cook and to go to the gym and to do things like that. And also that doesn't necessarily mean that we're all going to look the same either. We could all eat the same and do the same stuff and still have different bodies. And I think that's really important to take into account that like fat bodies are like, it's like a body type, you know, but we, we pathologize it and we like look at it as like, it's this disease almost, but we don't look at it when it's like a thin person, you know, like that's supposedly the ideal when like, I have been in a larger body literally my entire life and I didn't have an eating disorder until I was like 12. So what the fuck was happening there, man? <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think we also need to take into account what food restriction and whether it be dieting or starvation and whether that's intentional or not, what that does to our bodies and what that like, if you have a family history that uh, there was food scarcity, it makes sense that like down your line, you have larger bodied humans in your family. That's not necessarily a problem. Like, like, and that begs the question of like, why is it a problem? You know, like we need to address the fact that like we are um, stigmatizing and oppressing and being like hateful towards people's bodies that just like happen naturally. Like, you know, there's, a lot of nuance within this, right? Like addressing what you said in, in the sense of um, having access to things and also addressing what I'm saying in that, like, maybe this is just how bodies look and like, that's not a problem. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that that's, it's like this, there there's like a differences in how bodies look and then those are like exacerbated as they're moralized by systems of oppression, right? Like as systems yes. of oppression like align to um, create consequences, I guess, for the moralizing of them. Yeah, mm. completely. Okay, I feel like we have talked about so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. I'm curious if you have like anything else that we haven't talked about that you would like to talk about before we end. Yeah, I think that another way in which I think diet culture impacts our, like infiltrates our wallets in particular, mm -hmm. um, just like occurred to me a little bit earlier is when we were talking about self-righteous pleasure is also like the kind of self-righteous pleasure of feeling like we've worked hard and earned money mm. and now we get to spend it now we get to or 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 somebody else lacking that hasn't worked hard enough mm. for it and so doesn't deserve the same kind of um pleasure that comes from a kind of abundance of wealth or that like is accessible through an abundance of wealth. Cool. Um, yes. 
too. And I hadn't thought, I mean, I'd thought about the kind of like binge restrict cycle there, but I hadn't thought about that like element of self-righteous pleasure, which I think is a, also like an important kind of like element of diet thinking. Completely. Yeah. And that, that just made me think about like libertarian ideology, (laughs) which I used to consider myself a libertarian. Uh Uh-huh. I know. Um, But I have have since learned. And (laughs) I, that that's so true because there is this aspect of like, well, you didn't work for it. So why should you get it? Everyone should be out for themselves. Um, And it's very like lacking in that interdependence and that like that interdependent pleasure that we get from being in relationship with others and in relationship with ourselves. Right. Like, and that's, I think that that's so I feel like you just highlighted like the main point of all of this is that like, we are like, when we seek pleasure within ourselves, we are building relationship and community within us. And Mm -hmm when we're really unpacking the dieting supremacist kind of mindset, we are building relationship and connection and community with others, right? Like the more accepting I am of myself, the more accepting I am of others typically. I love that so much. And I think that that's highlighted by, I think that so many people, I think especially people who are socialized as women had the experience that you described earlier of being like so obsessed with like the contamination of the food on the menu and being on a, like being unable to escape food mm. contamination that they're on that it's like that's literally what they're thinking about instead of hanging out with other people yeah. or like having the opportunity to consume food that has been prepared by another creature like who like another like being another human probably who we're in relation to and other creatures right who have like created that food too right like maybe that right the contamination is also being in relation to the cow who produced the milk probably like in exploitative conditions most likely right like if we're thinking about I mean at a typical meal at like you know a midwestern restaurant whatever right but like we're not thinking about the condition of our relations to others we're thinking instead about protecting like insulating our bodies from contamination when it's really we're always in relation right we're always quote-unquote contaminated by our relation to others yeah yeah it the, the word that's coming to mind is like self-obsessed and like that is like the epitome of dieting. Like you are just in, completely engulfed in your own like shame and self-rejection and like that that's at least that was my experience. I could not think of anything outside of myself. I couldn't I, I could think about like the animals and stuff and the environment to a certain extent but like I couldn't really think about other people. Like I was very much like I need to do what's right for me, which is important, hundred percent. And also that lead that can lead to hyper individualism. Right. And so when you go down that rabbit hole, it becomes almost like 
like you don't notice that you're getting into that territory because it it's also very um it's very what's the word uh like promoted in our society it's normalized to especially with weight loss to be like very self-obsessed and like very fixated on like our food and diet and like our exercise and our bodies like it's just it's normalized and uh kind of tying that into what you said you lose this aspect of life like you lose that aspect of like I'm getting to sit here and connect with somebody and like getting to focus more on community and you know I think one of the biggest things that healing from my eating disorder has done for me is that it has opened up this doorway to feeling more connected to other people and to taking their experiences more into account. I feel like I have, I've always been a very empathetic person, but I feel like my empathy has grown so much because I'm not a self-obsessed fucking asshole. (laughs) Well, and you're not like judging others based on whether or not they're, you're not judging yourself based right? Practicing not judging yourself based on whether you adhere to your purity standards or not is like practice for not judging others for whether they adhere to purity standards or not, which is like how you create connection. Yeah. Oh my God. That, okay. So funny story about that, (laughs) that I thought of that I think would be fun to end on. Um, I went to a music festival a couple years ago and I was like heavy raw vegan at the time was very deep into my eating disorder up until like a month later, I decided to recover, but this was like the peak of it. Um, and I met my, a friend there. Uh, we had like, he saw that I was in some raw vegan group on Facebook and he saw that I was at this festival. And so he messaged me, he was like, hey, do you wanna like meet up and chat? And I was like, yeah, sure. We talked all night. He is still like a good friend. I love him. And he's also like, uh, he's completely gotten away from raw veganism and whatever. So um, but we had, <laughs> when I look back, I'm like, dude, what were you doing? We were in the middle of a performance. So someone was on stage performing love this artist but we're in the middle of the crowd having this very loud conversation about how we are superior to other people because we eat fruit and <laughs> looking back i'm like dude you are so dense like i'm in this i'm in the middle of the crowd othering myself in so many ways and like we were talking about how like fruitarianism is like superior how like everyone should be raw how eating animals is wrong like we were just going down this rabbit hole and so it made me think of that in that like I could not at that point in in my life put myself in other people's shoes and I was so self-absorbed in my own perspective um, and my self-righteousness that like I could literally stand in a crowd full of people and not be able to relate to any of them and think that what I was saying was like the word of God. (laughs) Yeah, well, and to not be able to like connect with or share even an experience with them, right? It's like you created your own exclusive experience within uh a crowd of people who were there to share an experience together yeah. and connect with one another. That reminds me also of, I think that there's, we, so 
there's a bit of a tension in what we've talked about so far between like wanting to fit in in order to feel a kind of connectedness and that being the reason for engaging in um, like diet thinking. And then on the other hand, like opening to connect, right? And like, because you want connectedness. And then on the other hand, like, um, the kind of benefit of deconstructing diet thinking is a larger sense of connectedness to lots of things. I mean, to each other in like, you know, specific ways, like throughout our life, throughout our day, but also to other people with other bodies, to other people, um, like to our history, um, to people who are very different from us um, in like lots of different ways. And I think that there's the kind of difference for me that was highlighted in your story is like, there's an inclusion that like diet culture predicates inclusion on exclusion. Mm. Whereas like- ah, You have to be like in, on, in, the, in the club. Exactly, whereas like, and that's part of where the self-righteousness comes from, right? Is like, whereas like inclusion based on connectedness is like the antidote to that, right? Uh, completely, yes. That was very well said. And I like that you brought that up because it's true. It's like we're in this club when you're in the diet mindset, but it's also very isolating in so many ways. Um, and uh, at the same time, like engaging in anti-diet culture can be isolating too. Like every, everyone around me is talking about their fucking diet. So like that can be frustrating. And also it's not like for me, my relationship with myself is like, impeccable so like I'm not willing to give that up <laughs> yeah well and I think that there is like there's a sense in which like people engaging in diet thinking is understandable right like I can understand that I feel I can feel like connected to somebody who is engaging in that way of thinking. It's just like, I don't have to adopt the belief that my inclusion is predicated on exclusion and conformity. Yeah, totally. Yes, I love that. Okay, I think that's a really great place to end today. Thank you so much for having this conversation. This was so much fun. Um, where can people find you if they would like to? Okay. Super cool. Okay. Uh, you can find me on my Instagram, which is instagram.com slash jctackettcoaching. That'll, I assume, be in the show notes. So yeah, I'll put everything in the show notes. I also, less than 12 hours ago, uh, launched my Patreon group, like, community called A Frolicking Brain. So it's patreon.com slash frolickingbrains. <laughs> that's so cute I love that yes um if you join so there's a three dollar membership tier where you will get frolic inducing journaling prompts for your brain each month 
then there's a $33 tier where you get a ton of benefits. Hold on, let me like make sure that I don't forget them all. Um, if you work on me one-on-one, -on -one, then you get the $33 tier for a dollar because like Patreon makes me charge something. Mm -hmm. um, but if you just want to come hang out with the community, Oh my gosh, this is gonna be like, this is insane to navigate. Hold on. Ma. Okay, we'll do it from my brain. Um, there's a Facebook community. There's two live calls each month. Um, which will be either like coaching, like me training on a coaching concept or doing a like workshop together or just like having a discussion or doing group coaching. Nice. Lots of possibilities, but essentially like a group live call, two of those each month. There's like all my like worksheets, journaling prompts, like everything that I develop. Um, there's like voting power for what the prompts are gonna be focused on for the next month. There's, um, and you can also, oh, there's also like infinite, I don't know, we'll see how long the infinitude continues, um, but like infinite live support from me in my DMs, which is as like Victoria can attest from our peer coaching situations that like I'm really good at DM coaching. It's like actually <laughs> my strength lies. <laughs> um, and like community, like access to, I think I mentioned access to the Facebook community, which I am hoping to develop into a peer coaching community too. So Hi. yarp, all the things. That's amazing. That I'm so excited for you. Um, I had a Patreon as well for a little bit and it can be a really great, fun resource. And I think for you, especially since you are so creative, I think it'll be an amazing space. So I will link all of that in the show notes below. Um, thank you again for coming on. Thank you for having me. This is like such a fun conversation. I feel like we could talk forever. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> Hey, if you're ready to feel a sense of inner safety, security, and certainty, come work with me. I'll teach you how to accept yourself using my empowerment process so that you can become the confident, powerful, bad bitch you are. Go to the link in the show notes and schedule our first date where we'll chat about your goals, get to know each other, and come up with an amazing action plan to get you to where you want to be. I'll see you there.